0: Welcome back to Confessions of a Working Writer. Um, It's this new era where we're working to debunk some of the bad information out there for writers and open up a a world of realizing that you can do this thing your way and there's a lot of different tidbits and pieces of advice out there. So this is the first interview episode. And there'll be episodes with me talking by myself again, but this is the first interview that we've done. It's a longer interview. It's a really good one. Um, quick show note before we get into it, this was a technical issue nightmare couple of weeks for me, so at a certain point we just called this episode good, there might be a couple of occasional moments and pauses and whatnot, it just wasn't working with me everybody, just bear with me, <laughs> at some point I just want to get the episode in the can and get it out to you where it can do some good, so yeah, there's a couple of little inconsistencies, Sorry, at some point we just have to be done though. Um, so yeah, so this week we had someone who we have someone for the interview who is a, a person that I have a long history with in in the poetry community and when I was a performance poet and everything else. They are a very wonderful poet. Uh, this week's interview is Evelyn Barry. Evelyn Barry is a trans author, editor, and museum educator living in South Carolina. She's the author of the novel Heathens and Liars of Lake Skillet County from PRA 2016, and the poetry chapbook Buggery, winner of the 2020 Boom Chapbook Prize from Bateau Press. Evelyn is also the recipient of the Cacalac Poetry Award, the Emrys Poetry Prize, and Broad River Prize for Prose, among other honors. Her recent work has appeared in Anti-Heroin Chic, Be Stung, Petrichor, Jasper Writes, and Litro magazines. She edits poetry books at Free Verse Press and writes book reviews for a Free State Review. She creates educational creative writing videos on TikTok and YouTube, which can be found at Evelyn Berry Writer. You can read and watch her work as well as access her free educational resources at EvelynBerryWriter.com. I don't want to take too much time on this intro. I think you're really going to enjoy it. It was a great conversation. Without any further ado and running of the mouth by me, here is our interview with Evelyn (laughs) Berry. Hello, working writers. It's me, Matt, your favorite working writer. I mean, at least one of them, right? And uh, we're here with a new style of show, a new format. We're going to be interviewing people. And I've got to tell you, I'm very excited for this interview that we're about to do. So I'm not going to do a whole lot. You heard the intro earlier. We're going to jump right into it. But I am incredibly happy to be able to have a conversation and introduce you all to the magnificent Evelyn Berry, a trans author, editor, and museum educator living here in South Carolina, uh, where I am also located. So, Evelyn, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, long-time listener, first-time caller. (laughs) It's really great to be here. Long-time listener, first-time I didn't even know we took calls. Uh, Now you are. And I have a lot of complaints. Okay, so beef number one, (laughs) in episode 13...
0: (laughs) I love it. This is the toad we're gonna to have the whole day, everybody. Get ready. I've come with a list. <laughs> I've brought the issues., oh,
1: that's what I should have done. I should have listened to all of you and like, this is everything I disagree with. Let's correct the record. Let's, <laughs>
0: let's, let's have a talk. Um, Let's have a talk. Um, So, yeah. So, let's start out with just tell the audience a bit about yourself.
1: Yeah. So, my name is Avalyn Barry. I'm um, a writer of fiction and poetry primarily, though I do dabble in some nonfiction, especially book reviews uh, for like literary magazines. Um, I work a day job as a museum educational specialist. What that means is I basically create... Um, programming based on South Carolina and Georgia's like standards of curriculum, uh, mostly around nuclear science and Cold War history. We can get into that later if we really want to. Um, And I also do a lot of editing work. So I do a little bit of freelance editing of people's books and um, sometimes just like submission packets. Uh, But I also do some freelance work for a couple of different magazines and presses kind of on, you know, kind of, you know, month to month basis on what they need. Um, and I'll come in and, and edit their books and offer, you know, the kind of structural editorial feedback that you would get with a small press. So that's just some of the little stuff I do.
0: Yeah. Just a little here, a little there, you know, yeah. there's, there's some stuff. Um, well, excellent. So this first question, this is one that you and I have talked about before, uh, with me on the receiving end. Mm. Um, so now I'm going to let you answer it. Uh, no. What makes a working writer, in your opinion, just that phrase? What's a working yeah. writer?
1: So I, this is how I think of it. I think that if you're a working writer, you have created a life-work balance that allows you to create. Um, writing on a regular basis, Um, whether that's creative writing or nonfiction writing. So this can look different ways. Sometimes that means that writing is part of your career. So for example, um, if you're a journalist, you know, I think that's a very easy example of a working writer or a um, content writer, copy editor, that sort of thing. Um, but also, I you know, know plenty of working writers who, uh, for example, uh, I know a guy who works, uh, building swimming pools for, like, rich people, basically. And, you know, he basically writes on his lunch breaks on his phone and then compiles them into books eventually. And that's how he's published a lot of books of poetry. Um, uh, but still has that, like, very well paying job doing, um, construction on people's swimming pools and, like, gardens and things like that. So I think that, what's kind of important is making sure that you structure a life that allows you to practice that creativity.
0: That's the, I I like that answer. I really do. That's so one of the things I've always loved um, in, in listening to your content and in, in speaking with you in conversations we've had Evelyn is the talk a lot about process. Mm. Um, And I think this is a conversation like it's very easy for writers. I think to get caught up on product Mm-hmm. Right. I got a poem. I wrote a novel. I did a short story. Um, but I think we, we forget how important process is to that. Right. Um, so I kind of want to ask, what is your tell me a little bit about your yeah. creative process? Like, what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm going to give you three different answers. Uh, The very first answer is going to be a little bit boring, which means that it kind of looks different um, depending on what I'm doing, depending on what I'm writing uh, from genre to also like what's going on in my life. So I really allow it to be fluid. I don't have a very strict process that I have to use. Um, I really have kind of times of immense productivity, which is like where I am right now, I'm in this mode of writing every day, like trying to push out a project, um, trying to finish a project, there's a lot of things on on my plate. Um, But there's other times where I really am just allowing whatever to happen to happen. So that's answer number one, it's a little bit of a boring answer. Okay, answer number two Um, When I write fiction, I have a very particular process. (laughs) Um, I usually write on an iPad, sometimes a laptop, like on Google um, Drive, actually. And then on my iPad, I have something called the Scribner app and um every day you know i'll come home from work where i also write a lot like on the laptop and i'll pack away my little ipad it's very thin and light and i put it in a little hiking backpack and i go for a hike and i probably not a super long hike like two miles and i walk down to like a little pond there's a lot of different parks near my house so there's one that's within walking distance or if i'm feeling really adventurous i'll go out to one of the state parks or county parks and i will walk around until i get a little exhausted i'll think about the chapter i want to write i'll sit down and try to write anywhere from 500 to like 1500 words um and while i do that i also listen to music I actually have a whole playlist i'll share it with you matt if you want of like okay. japanese ambient music that i'm absolutely obsessed with there is a lot of albums from the 1970s And, like, right now, I actually have, like, a project for the month of May where every day I'm, like, listening to an album, you know, anywhere from 40 minutes to two hours. And the idea is that while I'm listening to it, I have to be writing. And so I'm letting that music kind of inform the mood of the the book that I'm working on. And the reason I do that is that right now I'm in a mode of trying to be, like, I really want to finish the current draft of a novel. Um, Just so I have, like, I have been writing and rewriting this book. I have... Not yet. I probably started over about nine times. I mean, when I say starting over, I mean, new characters, like, you know, completely (laughs) new new character, different settings, completely changing the plot. Like, it's a lot of experimentation. And so this time I'm like, I really want to get to an ending just so that I have something I can really start to work with okay so that's answer number two answer number three is about poetry um, which actually what i do is i create certain processes and projects to work on so i used to do it about once a month i would usually think about a theme and try to write around it so for example i might spend a whole month or two only writing ekphrastic poetry so that's like poetry in response to art Um, And the idea is to get a certain number of poems and they don't have to be good. The whole idea is just writing um, a certain number. So sometimes that's 30, sometimes that's like 10 poems of a certain theme. Um, And then uh, once I have that, then I kind of put it away and then I can later go back and revise and, and make, you know, what I think of as quote, unquote good poems out of the huge pile of, you know, kind of messy clay that I've just created. Um, but I, I, have lately been doing a lot of projects, so like project-based. It's like, okay, so for example, I did like a whole series of poems, um, recently based around the tarot. So every day for 78 days, I drew a card from the tarot and then I wrote a poem in response. And the only rules that I gave myself were, you know, I had to do it every day. I also had to share it every day. So these poems were not trying, I wasn't going to try to get them published in like literary journals. Instead, I just was going to put something online every day so that I could just, you know, be held accountable to a certain extent. Um, and then that they had to at least be like two lines. So some of them were really simple. Um, and some of them were really long and, and, and more complex, but just the idea was to create a daily practice where I'm sitting with myself and thinking. Um, and this was really good because it, it really narrows down your focus. The tarot was a interesting choice. I probably wouldn't do anything like that again because it was very um, it was a very insular process like the tarot is of course a a way that a lot of people get to know themselves so to speak like they think through like some inner problems of their life so of course it kind of forces you to think about a lot of emotional aspects of your life um, which is both a good thing but also kind of uh, it it was a bigger and, and more introspective process than I was expecting, especially since it finally kind of forced me to think a lot about gender and self. You know, a lot of tarot is about like ambition and who you are versus how you are seen. Um, so that was kind of interesting as well. Cause I actually got to think uh, like, a lot of the poems ended up being about gender and the ways in which, like, the state, and I mean that, like, in the political sense, kind of um, polices gender, as well as, like, how I think about it. Um, so, anyways, it was a really productive process. Uh, I really suggest that, actually. If you're, like, stuck in your writing, I, I suggest doing, like, a project base of saying, okay, I'm going to write say a short you know three short stories all on a particular theme within say two months and that way you have like a goal in mind and it doesn't really matter if at the end of the two months any of those are good or publishable it will just maintain the practice of writing i think that's really
0: interesting because it's something um it's something I know I every once in a while do. I'll jump in and 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 create theme projects and, and write around them because uh, it, it. I I think you're on. You you make a good point. It frees you from this. Like oh god, where do I draw an idea from? You know, it 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 sets that up. It says, look here, we're going to give you the base idea. You know, some people like writing prompts. I don't know that prompts have ever worked well for me. I I I just don't like many writing prompts. Mm-hmm. But I enjoy the idea of saying, okay, I'm going to write a project, you know, mm-hmm. and do a project about this. So uh, I think that's interesting. I, I mean, I do. I think there's, there's the, what is it we talk about a lot, the, uh, the freedom of restriction. That Sometimes mm, yeah. when you restrict things, you can find yourself free in other ways to do your work.
1: For sure. Yeah, I also really suggest people like in poetry, for example, which has lately been kind of the medium that I write the most or am like known for writing. I actually write a lot people don't think of me as a formal poet, but a lot of my poems begin as formal poems So, say a sonnet or sestina, which is in order just to like, force myself to think of some interesting language that then I can reuse later I think a a mistake that a lot of writers think is that every single time they sit down at the page they need to be like inspired and like creating something that is mind-blowing, but you get to also choose the output that you give out into the world or not. So, you know, you can write as much as you want and then just choose to share the good stuff. Or, you know, like me, I share a lot of the messy process, but that's also because um, part of my process is also related to, like, education.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's interesting talking about like not worrying about it being very good and just getting stuff on the page, right? I recently, just this weekend, actually watched, uh, the, there's a Kurt Vonnegut documentary out now um, called Unstuck in Time. Mm. It was really good because it's, it's been filmed. The, the documentary was filmed over the course of 25 years with oh, Vonnegut. Wow. So it's interesting to watch him, and it talked about Timequake, which was kind of what he envisioned as his last novel and how he was never quite happy with it, and how at the end he had made a reference to the fact that at the end it just mattered. It didn't matter whether it was good or brilliant or the novel that he envisioned. It, was, it mattered that he got it done. Mm. And, and he talked about you know the journey. And with Vonnegut, I always find that really interesting because m- some of my favorite books of Vonnegut, like Player Piano, happened early in his career before anyone really knew a whole lot about him. Like they mm. happened before Slaughterhouse-Five dropped and the world went, oh my God, it's Vonnegut. Um, so it's it's just interesting to be like, like you kind of don't really know where you're gonna go and and putting work on the page is a good thing to do, you know, let it evolve, let it grow. and I think watching Vonnegut talk about that over the course of twenty five years was really interesting.
1: yeah, that's definitely the mode that I'm trying to get into now after like the publication of my very first novel, I felt immense pressure to write a second novel and wanted to get it done and I did. I like wrote a second novel and gave it to my publisher and they read it and said, wow, this is awful. <laughs> We're not going to publish this. <laughs> um, Which is fair and totally fine. But um, You know, I think it's been kind of interesting that the further I get away from that now I'm like, oh, I actually really am more interested. I, I think that one of the reasons too is I have a pretty fulfilling career outside of writing mm-hmm. or outside of creative writing per se. So I feel a lot more comfortable trying to create something that is really good. Um, same with like a poetry manuscript. I started trying to publish a first full-length collection. I have some chat books out, but I've actually never published a full-length poetry collection before. I get debut one and I want it to be really good. And so I recently even kept like, it's wild to think about the fact that in 2017, I was like getting these like, you know, finalist places for book prizes but I look back at that manuscript. I'm like, oh my god, that's so awful. Which is also just, you know, the you're always going to feel that way. But also, I'm I'm, I'm a lot. Ha- I think I'm going to be a lot happier for a longer time with the manuscript that I'm currently shopping.
0: Yeah, I you you know, first of all, applause for for just doing what I I wish more writers did. Sometimes of just owning when something didn't go real well. Uh, like you're like, I wrote my second novel and they they didn't like it. Um, I, I think there's kind of a yeah, you know, I think there's there's a real push uh, in, in the modern era, as it were, to always kind of be flawless, always be crushing it. Uh, so I, I, I actually am really grateful that you talked about that because I've talked about writing projects I did that fell flat on their face uh, and and had a similar experience as a really young playwright. I had one play that was very successful and then was like, man, I got to write the next one. And the next one was a garbled pile of shit to put it nicely. <laughs> yeah. It was. I was like, I'll use nine thousand characters in a chorus, and we'll have shit fly in from the ceiling. And producers oh, were like, "Oh yeah, what are you doing?" And I went, "I'm a genius." And they were like, "Not that good." Uh, and I just, I think, you know, we we do we get under pressure to follow up success and and find the next thing.
1: You know, I spend a little too much time in, like, online spaces, especially, like, Twitter and TikTok, um, which has been cool because it's let me connect to younger writers. But something I see super often is this notion that um, if you are not successful young, if you're not, like, having a book out by the time you're 18, or um, you know, these days, like, 25 is seen as, like, oh, God, I'm so old to come out with my first book. But, like, that has never been the norm. But now I think because of um, you know, social media, we're exposed to other people who are successful really young. And um, I don't know, I have a lot of different feelings about it. Like, on one hand, I think it's really cool to get your work out, no matter what age you are, because I, I did that, like, I was like 17 publishing little zines and chat books and sharing my work with people. And I think it did help me get further faster as far as, you getting myself known as a, a writer in South Carolina or getting myself invited to poetry readings. On the other hand, I know that I put like way too much pressure on myself to write and, and particularly like to publish work really young. Um, and, and one of the things I see with that too is like, you know, I went to school. I mean, this is a little shady, but that's fine. I went to school with all these people who like studied creative writing or even like went and got MFAs. And when they were in school, like their dream was like, I'm going to write a book you know, and now it's a little, a little bit later, you know, we're all like 28 to 30 years old, and um, not many of them are writing anymore, or trying to do the same things. They've kind of like said, well, you know, it's, it's past time. Um, on the other hand, I'm in community with a lot of older writers who didn't even start writing or publishing until after they retired. So these people are in their late 60s, 70s, some of them even in their 80s. And you know, they're just now kind of reaching the, the you know, beginning or peak of their writing careers and publishing careers. Um, so I think it's really important to, like, keep in mind that sustainability in a writing career is a lot more important than, say, like, virality or early success. Um, it's, it's very wild to think about... Um, I'll give a great example. A couple of years ago, like the thing to do if you were a spoken word poet was to get featured on Button Poetry. And if you got featured on Button Poetry very early on, you might get millions of views. And it was like one of the best ways to get shows, which is great. Cause I, I think it was a really cool platform to help um, share a lot of poets voices, but you kind of see some of the people really took advantage of that platform when we're able to build a more sustainable touring platform and, you know, also go into, say, like, children's books or do speaker um, rounds and do conferences and stuff. While other people, like, burned out and, you know, they burned very bright for, like, one year and then they kind of faded away um, because they could not sustain their creative careers. And the reason for that, I I assume, is that, you know, early on, your entire focus is on the output. Um, which is like, you know, we can talk about, I actually think it's incredibly important to think about marketing and think about your career and all of those things. But if you do it a little too young and you're obsessed with it, like I was, um, it's really easy to burn out.
0: Yeah. I think that, uh, I mean, so it's interesting to talk about that because I'm, I mean, I just turned 42 this year. And, you know, that's kind of the midlife crisis, I think, for writers. Like, I had success when I was younger. I went to the military and was away from it for a while. Um, so it's not like I just didn't do anything. I just, you know, was living a life. And have gotten back to it in the last, you know, last few years since, like, you and I first met and everything else. I'd, I'd started coming back to it and discovered along the way, you know, that playwriting wasn't really what I wanted to do anymore. And it eventually led to, to fiction prose writing. But it was just... It's it's a journey, and I think uh, when I was a kid, I and I say that because you know, I was like 18, 19, I thought, yeah, I know exactly where I want my writing career to go, um, and I didn't. Uh, you know, I, I didn't. And also, sometimes I look back on the stuff I wrote twenty years ago and and you know, wish I had a time machine so I could go slap myself real quick. Like, Wait, you you think this is edgy? Like, what are you doing? Um, so it's, it's just interesting to talk about like writing happens at different phases in our life. You know, Vonnegut has always been a big hero of mine and, and a large part because like, yeah, Slaughterhouse-Five was published when he was 42 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, he, he hit his success stride a lot older. Um, I, I don't know that that's even a lot older. I think there's actually a large number of writers who really start hitting their stride in their forties. Um. I yeah, that, for sure. I don't know that I want to ascribe anything. That just was the right time for them to do it. So I, that's an interesting point though. Like, you know, yeah, don't get too obsessed with success early.
1: I think this is especially true for um, women, actually, because often if they're starting families, like the bulk of responsibility of childcare is kind of pushed onto women. And it's kind of like, especially, you know, women who are writers and women who are mother- or writers who are mothers are kind of seen as um, like selfish for following their careers. And so um, I think this is changing a lot, but for a very long time, it was kind of expected that you stepped away and, you know, you went to be a mother and that was the only identity you could hold. And then you could come back later when you were 50 and then have a writing career. Now now Um, you can do it. Exactly. And, and I, you know, obviously a lot of that sucks, but I think that does account for a lot of people. um, leaving and coming back. You know, when I mentioned college, for example, you know, I think that it's also that leaving that structure behind is is hard for a lot of people, especially, you know, if you're being assigned writing um, and forced to write, and, and also you have a community of writers. When you're an adult, you have to build that yourself. And it's, it's way harder um, to do, especially to kind of figure out what you're doing or if you really want, like, critique and from whom and who you trust. It takes a while to, to build that community back for yourself, a community that's kind of, you know, you take for granted when you're in a place like college or uh, maybe in an MFA program
0: yeah i i I mean i know that one of the things for me and i can't speak to all other writers but like i was young and and had a lot of ideas and and thoughts and was working through a ton of trauma um and and probably in my case i think i had bigger ideas than i was capable of really handling right like i didn't have the life experience to go along with the things i wanted to talk about um i can say that now because hindsight's perfect but when I was younger writer, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to write about these big themes. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And then I went off and I, I did the military thing and, and I mean, was in the military at a time of active combat, um, and, and war, and it was a, a changing experience. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for me, that's what I needed for some people. It's just getting out there into the world, right? It's just leaving and having to do things. Like you said, having to do things yourself a little bit more. Right. No one's assigning you the work anymore. There's, there's, you know, the community's not automatically built in. You have to go find it. Um, you know, you have to seek your voice. Uh, you know, it, it falls on you. And I think there's a, there's a real transformative thing that happens to writers when we do that. Um, I, I do. It's, I, I guess it's why I've never been the, like, I don't know. I never, I've never. i never been like, oh, once you graduate, you're like, you know, there's that academic progression for a lot of writers. Like you get your bachelor's and you go to get your mm-hmm. MFA and then you go to get your PhD and then you've got all the writing knowledge you need. So now you can teach and then mm-hmm. write later. Um, so I don't know. I think, I think that's a, a good, good point. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's kind of interesting to think. So let's, we brought it up a little bit. I'd I'd love to touch on it because this is a conversation you and I've had. It's, it's an interesting one because we come at it from a little bit different angles. So let's talk about marketing as a writer. Yeah, Uh, Because, you know, I come from my, for for those of you listening who may not know, uh, my day job is I am a marketing and branding consultant. I I work in a branding agency. Um, So this is something I know a little bit about in that regard. But again, we we come at this from different angles. So let's talk. So what are your thoughts on uh
1: marketing and branding as a yeah, writer? Totally. Um, well first of all I'll say that I think a lot of I know a lot of people are very um negative, I suppose, about social media and for very good reason. Um it's definitely addictive and all the and, and sometimes toxic. On the other hand, I think this is a really, really exciting time to be a writer because social media gives us access to the world and access to an audience that was previously just not really possible. Um, So my kind of main, I guess, philosophy about marketing yourself as a writer is um, that, you know, it's it's, it's hard to sell books, first of all. And so it's also it's hard to like, trust your own voice. Like I know plenty of people who write books and then they're like, ah, you know, like do people really want to read this? I don't want to bother people with my voice, you know? Um, And so I try to reframe that um, at least in my own brain or, or with friends. And sometimes they're saying like, yeah, I wrote this book, but you know, I just want to get on to the next thing. Like why, why should I care about marketing the book that I wrote and trying to get people to buy it? Like, isn't that just being a sellout? So a couple of things, first of all, you know, if you're not selling your work or you're not getting readings and you're not able to sustain yourself as like just a human being, then you're not going to be able to like write the next thing. Um, And I mean that both like one, spiritually, like you might, you're not getting back the energy that you put into the book to write what's next. But also like professionally, like if you don't sell your first book well, it's way harder to sell your next book. I mean, I'm dealing with that right now. My first book sold terribly and um, that's fine. It was from a very small press, but it is going to be a bit of an uphill battle to sell the next novel to like an agent because, you know, they're going to say, Oh, well, you've already published a book. How much did it sell? And it's like less than a thousand copies, like not a lot. Um, so it, it's important to market your work for that reason. The other reason I think is that like, um, is this is very more like philosophical, but, Writing is a communication technology. You know, we, we can write for ourselves as much as we want. That's called journaling. We can write for ourselves, we can build our craft, but we write in order to communicate to others. Like those ideas, those stories are important. Like we're telling them for a reason. And so if you're keeping them to yourself and not actually sharing your work with others, if you're not actively um, putting the work out into the world and and at, you know, seeking out readers, I think it's actually doing a disservice to people that might actually need your story. Um, I think about this with like, there's certain books that I know have totally changed my life. And once you've written the book, you know, I think this marketing happens post, you've written that, you published it, you put it on in the world. And now, you know, your job is to convince people that they should give it a chance because, you know, you don't know, it really might be the thing that they need. Um, This has really come to light, I guess, with, like, poetry. It's so interesting. Like, two years ago, I came up with a poetry chapbook. It was called Glitter Husk. Um, And it was, like, self-published, put it out into the world. And there was, like, maybe 300 copies of it. But it's still, like, floating around in the world. It's currently sold out. But, like, I'll get messages on Instagram, you know, maybe, like, two times a month or something. And say, hey, I found your book on, you know... From I don't know where these people are getting it. You know what I mean? It's like I live in Pittsburgh and this really spoke to me because it's like a book about grief and I just lost somebody to suicide. And you know, that and then we have a kind of a conversation. And, you know, in my head, that book is like, oh God, I'm so tired of it. It's like so old, it's outdated, it isn't like as good as I can write now, or I, I don't think the poems are as good as they could be, but they still are providing a service in the world. And so I think that marketing is the act of service, which I know is like a weird thing to think about, but it it isn't about like self-aggrandizing or like selling yourself. It's instead about providing something of value to people. And when we think about poetry or, or novels, I know there's a lot of conversations about, well, does that even have value? Like who cares about a novel? But for any of us who read and have been changed by books, who have been touched by stories, who have like wept openly after reading a poem that kind of reminds us what it means to be human and alive on Earth today, I think that literature provides a lot of value.
0: Yeah. I, so I'm going to be honest. I've never heard a writer talk about marketing the way that you just did. I actually really like it. Um, so I mean, you know, I'm I'm very. As we do interviews, I think the the challenge is always for an interviewer. And I know you know this is to like avoid putting our thoughts too much on and let the thoughts of the person we're interviewing come forth. But I actually really like the way you pointed out as like doing a service because something I talk a lot about is that, you know, if you're writing to become rich, if that's like your motivation, if you go, I'm gonna write a novel, why? To become rich we We probably need to have a talk right <laughs> like because it's just hard it's it's a really hard there are better ways to become rich if you just want the money, there are better ways to become wealthy um but if if you want to do it for a reason, if there's a story you want to tell or something you want to get out there if, if there's some other reason besides just I want to get rich um I think that's a good thing, and so when I take that and combine it with this idea of marketing as doing a service, which is something I tell marketing clients, like we don't need to talk about how great your company is. We need to provide a service for people, right? We need to, to let them know about what you do so that we can help them. Um, I don't
1: know. I just really like, it was really great hearing. Thank you. Yes. Can I give you like a kind of metaphor that I think is, is, useful um we're going gotcha. to talk about something controversial Okay. But, um, oh no not controversy <laughs> no, oh no uh <laughs> it's about covid um so no. you know i think it's so think about this so before we had a covid vaccine I think there was this kind of general understanding that once we had a vaccine available that was going to keep people like um, safe from getting incredibly sick from COVID, people would want it. You know what I mean? Of course, right? Yeah. People getting sick, you would get a vaccine. And what we witnessed instead was a massive movement um, against getting vaccinated. People were some people were scared about it. Some people were just spreading outright misinformation about it there was a lot of misinformation about COVID and I think one of the things that we have to grapple with um, in the medical world is what's called like science communication or medical communication which the secret isn't just making the cure it's also telling the story about the cure that is going to um, convince people that they actually need it um, so, like, those are different sides of the equation. So, if you, you know, like, um, you can't just make a cure, you can't just make a vaccine. You also have to create a communication strategy that will educate people about the vaccine, that will convince people that it's safe, that will spend time in communities. Uh, so that people are familiar with the people giving the vaccine. Okay, so like, those those are kind of, I think, really important things to consider. And and there's actually entire like classes and industries that are around science communication, like my other job, I, I work in kind of science communication, where I'm not a scientist, but I am a communicator, and I'm helping, you know, normal everyday people who are not scientists better understand kind of complex ideas. And in, and for something like COVID it's, it's life saving. Like how do you convince someone that the thing that you're giving them is a life saving cure and not snake oil? Yeah. So yeah, if you apply that to like a job in the arts, like there's work of developing the, the thing that is a healing balm. Say like, you know, it's kind of corny to say, but yeah, let's say a poem or a story that has like, um, the ability to inspire you or the ability to speak to you on some level. But it's a whole separate journey then once you've created the thing to then communicate to people, this is why I think you might need this or want this.
0: Yeah, it's it's a great point. I mean... Again, I think of a lot of the work that I do in terms of political satire, and, mm-hmm. and you see it a lot, because you know, I don't want you to be the only one who went out on a limb with the COVID metaphor. So I see it a lot. Um, and, and guys, audience members, if you're surprised at where my politics lie, then you really haven't listened to more than this episode. Um, so <laughs> it's the same thing I talk about You know, when we talk about like, uh, right-leaning political pundits, which is something I satirize a lot. Um, it's the goal of making a narrative. It, it's the goal of building a story. Uh, and and I think we sometimes underestimate how powerful storytelling can be. I, I I do. I think we underestimate how powerful a story can be. And I, I guess I'm saying that kind of in your response, to like you know, people that don't see value in in novels and and books, yeah, you know, we we forget how powerful this shit is. Right. Yeah. Um, you know. I mean, I've I've never loved the the pin is mightier than the sword thing. Maybe that's because I was in the military, and I'm like, I assure you, it's not necessarily. Um, but it isn't. It it does have the ability to guide the sword. And that yeah. is a real power. Um, I just don't love the old adage because I think it's just you know it's a little too simplistic. I
1: think I think know. it's really silly too. But you have to like acknowledge too that wars are fought over stories. Yeah, War, you know, stories are how we understand the world, and very often, you know, for example, who a land belongs to, the way yeah. that you. Tell yourself, okay, this land belongs to me, as a story that we tell ourselves, that we collectively tell ourselves, and so when those stories conflict, you know that that's, you, you, you know it has real bloody consequences. Yeah, um, yeah. I <laughs> I, mean, I, it, yeah,
0: it totally does. Well, I'm like I'm working right now on a satirical piece that's like a magazine interview with God, uh, oh. <laughs> right? Because you know me, like just pedal to the floor, full gas. We're just gonna go. We'll hit something eventually. Uh, I'm going to keep driving the car fast until I hit something that sounds expensive. Um, <laughs> so I'm doing this interview about and, and this satire piece. Of, it's like a magazine interview with God, and and it's about this whole like culture war idea, right? And I'm like, look, because narratives are there. Like the, the narratives matter. Like what we do as writers matters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's why I got pulled into the political satire thing. Anyway, like I felt compelled to go there. Um, satire is something I do anyway, but I was like, oh yeah, but I, I see this and I, this is where I felt pulled to go. Um, that was important to me. I, I want to pivot a minute and talk mm-hmm. about, so we've talked about you know your work in museum education. How important is it, do you think? Because let's be honest, making your your huge wealth as a writer is is really hard. You're going to probably have to be an outlier to do it. I mean, to make a large sum of money at it. So a lot of writers I know, and I'm sure the same is true for you, have day jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, how important is it, do you think, for writers to just go ahead and be like, hey, I'm going to get the day job that I can be happy. Like, I'm going to find something to do that can pay my bills that I can be happy doing.
1: Oh, I think it depends on on the person. So there's certain people I know who have careers that are completely separate from writing. And they feel like, um, you know, I I know people, for example, who work like in coffee shops or, um, and and they say, you know, it's great, I make coffee, I get to like listen to music all day. And during that time, they're kind of percolating, I guess, like coffee, um, the story (laughs) in their head or some ideas in their head. And then that kind of helps them save up their creative energy for their personal projects. Um, and I think that's a totally valid um, strategy. You know, I think I mentioned earlier, I know someone who like works in construction and then he writes during his own time. Um, but it, it's not something that I think draws on a lot. You know, I, I think that for the most part, he's like, I know how to do it. I go show up, I get bone tired. And then I and then I write. Um, m- my job, I, I find that I do still want to do something that's fairly fulfilling, especially something that has like a positive effect in my community. Um, because, and something that's a little sustainable, something that feels stable, this is going to be a hot take, but I think that writing in an unstable environment is not only like unhealthy, but also just not possible for a long time. I know plenty of writers who kind of romanticize, you know, being full-time writers and it's hard. I mean, you're, you're kind of in in, entrenched in poverty often. Like when you write articles online, you might make a couple hundred dollars. You have to constantly be hustling to get those gigs. Um, If you're really lucky, you might be able to get on a conference circuit and on a regular basis um, go and speak at conferences and get paid a couple hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars if you 're famous enough to to talk for an hour or two, but even then, like most of the people who are doing that are professors you know at colleges yeah. who then that 's part of their job is that they 're expected to do that and they also have the time flexibility so I, I think that if you 're like a young writer and looking at careers um, but you want to keep writing as a part of your life, you have to find something that is fulfilling to you, whether, you know, if it's something mindless, then let it be mindless. Or for me, like, I like that my job engages my creativity, but in a very different way. Like I I do write a lot. Like we actually just wrote a book for my um, job. So I spent the last four months writing a book, like a history book. Um, And then also, uh, like, for example, I'm writing like tour scripts, you know, so say like 10,000 words of, of, you know, history information, I guess, uh, communication strategies and all of that stuff. Um, so so there is a lot of writing, but I also get to do things like design. I also get to like work with my hands. So I, I build a lot of our interactives. So I learn how to use power tools and uh, actually just build things from scratch. Um, I get to also do a lot of like talking in public, which I really like doing. Um, and that like has a connection with the community. So all of this is just to say that like, I I personally find it really useful to find another thing that is also fulfilling because in my life, when I've had a job that was completely unfulfilling and also exhausting, um, particularly in food and bath or like working at a bookstore, I was too exhausted to write. Like if you're not like in a good financial place or not in a good mental space, it becomes that much harder to write. Um, And and think about the practicality of that. Like when we talk about money, like we forget like, You know, writing is is a lucky thing because you don't need a lot of money to write, but you generally need a computer. You need an internet connection probably. um, And you can, you know, get those at limited times at the library for free. For for years, I didn't have a laptop in college. I would write at the library. I'd go to the library or I'd borrow a friend's laptop. And I did this for years. Um, And I don't think it helped my writing to be struggling like that. Um, having access to a steady income, having access to, um, affordable housing that you like stay in the same place for more than six months at a time. Um, all of those things I think help your creativity, uh, as well as like access to like mental health things. Like if you can afford to go to therapy, if you can afford meds, if you can afford to go see a doctor, the dentist, um, those are good things for you not they're not detriments to your writing i don't think we should romanticize the starving artist or the artist who gives it all up for their art and creativity because um if you do that you might end up dead and that's awful because then you won't be able to share or write anything else
0: yeah, I, I really like talking about not romanticizing the starving artist. I mean, I think we we romanticize a lot of stuff. I I do. I just think it's kind of the nature of America as a marketplace. Um we, we like to romanticize stuff. I think uh, I don't think I told you this one, but over the holidays, um someone came up to me and they were like, Oh Matt, you know, I I hear you're autistic. And I was like, Yeah, they're like, That's an incredible superpower and I was like, not at holiday parties. He just stopped because I don't think he ever comprehended that there was saying, you know, I'm not some odd savant, you know, running around going, this is amazing. Like I'm in the middle of a holiday party, like looking like I'm about to be mugged because those situations are ridiculously anxiety inducing for me. Um and, and so I think in the same line with, you know, writing and the starving artist, it sounds really great until you try doing it. And it's a very practical reason that, yeah, it takes away from your understanding of the writing. You know, you're not going to be in the right mental place to do it. It, it puts too much pressure on you. Um, but I also like you talking about finding other creative outlets, right? Um, so like I, I took up taiko drumming, Japanese taiko drumming, like three years ago. Uh, and that's actually been one of the best things I've ever done for my writing. One hundred percent. Like it doesn't in in no way. I'm not writing a ton about it. I think I've written a couple times about it, but I don't write like I'm not going. Oh man, there's this whole Taiko market I can now write to. Um, but it having to express creative creativity in a different way, and especially with Taiko drumming because it's done with a group of people, and writing is usually done alone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So having a creative facility that requires other people to be present has been really helpful to me.
1: Yeah. I love like also thinking about the idea of like just having a full life. I think like um, it's important to ensure that your life allows for writing, but is not centered around writing. I'm always a little bit, okay. So I'm, again, I'm gonna be a little shady. Um, <laughs> and I'm always a little bit like mm, tickled when I read like, uh, you know, someone who's like a professor, they went to school, then they went to MFA and then they became a professor and now they're tenured and they write a book and the main character is an author struggling to write a book or something like that. And, you know, that kind of metafiction can be really fun, but at the same time, I think that it focuses too much on a very insular community and understanding of what's going on. Um, while, like, I think if you live your life in a way that you can have really rich and varied experiences, it will. I think it will not necessarily make you a better writer, but it will make you a better storyteller. You know, you'll be exposed to more details. Like I think that one of the things that makes really rich prose or poems are, you know, very specific concrete details. But where do those details come from, if not from uh, a life that is fully lived? It's a really good point.
0: It's a really good point. So we're going to transition to, uh, to a segment that I have just decided to call the lightning round. Uh, oh, I know yeah. the, the, the beautiful planning of confessions of a working writer done absolutely on the spot. Um, so uh, so I'm going to ask a few questions, just mm-hmm. simple, easy ones and just want to get some ideas on these. Cause these are kind of questions I see a lot in the writer space and I'd love to hear your take. Yeah. On. I mean, Let's start quick
1: answers. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> what, are,
0: what are your, uh, what are
1: three books you think every writer should read? Oh, wow. Um, hmm. Um, let's see. What's a great book? Uh, tell So one of my favorite novels ever is Tell the Wolves I'm Home by Carol Brunt Rifke. I think it's like a perfect book, the only book that she ever wrote. Um, as far as like a writing book, if, if you want to get to know about what it means to be a writer, I really suggest reading The Writing Life by Annie Dillard. It is, uh, you know, it's not a how to guide on how to write a book, but it is a interesting meditation on what it means to live a life that is dedicated to the craft of writing. And it's one of my favorite books on writing I've ever read in my life. Um, and then third, my book of, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm going to suggest um, a book of poetry that I think is a very interesting use of language. And I think that if you're a prose writer, especially, or even a nonfiction writer, you should be reading poetry because poets are um, approaching language in a very interesting way. Um, this is a book called Crush by Richard syken It's probably published back in the early 2000s or so, um, but it's, you know kind of a fundamental poetry book for i know a lot of contemporary poets uh in fact if you are very into contemporary poetry like i am especially contemporary like lgbt poetry and you read it you'll start say saying like oh wow this book is incredibly influential to like everyone i've been reading for the past 10 years awesome um all right uh what's your favorite thing to do for self-care i go hiking a lot um i'm pretty fortunate to live in south carolina where there's some beautiful state parks so um i've got a state park pass and i go hiking i try to go every day but if not um literally just walking around the neighborhood i i think that walking and and just moving your body is, is really important it doesn't need to be exercise just literally you know going and um playing as a reptile lizard in the sun um, is, is good for you. <laughs> nice.
0: nice. Um, all right. So do you prefer to write in places where there are other people around or in places where you were alone?
1: Um, hmm. I, I, I think that I like sitting in a somewhat quiet place with other people. As long as they're not directly talking to me, I don't mind like the background noise. Um, so I do love a cafe. Um, and if I'm at home, honestly, that's where the video games live and it's really easy. It's also where the internet lives, you know, it's so easy to scroll on Twitter instead of writing.
0: It's where the distractions live.
1: (laughs) That's where they are. Uh, do you prefer
0: to write by hand or with a device like an iPad or a computer or
1: whatnot? For fiction on a computer or an iPad for poetry, I usually write the first draft by hand and then I do revisions on a computer. Okay. Uh, do you, what time of day do you like to write? Um, it depends. You know, if I have a day off, I like doing it early in the morning because that's really when I feel most like creative and, and, and here and present. But because I have a day job, I usually write around 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, usually not for two whole hours, but somewhere in between those times.
0: Okay. And the final question, the doozy, because you are here on a show called Confessions of a Working Writer we've talked about working writers. Do you have a confession?
1: Hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, let me think of a fun confession. <laughs> um, I think that, um, even if, Oh gosh, what am I, what do I want to confess? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. How about this? Um, yeah, okay. Just because you publish a book, even through a traditional publisher, uh, does not mean that you're a good writer. Um, it's it's uh, a lot of publishing. And when people tell you they're publishing success stories, it does come down to a little bit of luck. Um, luck and also who you know. Um, all of that really matters. And it really mattered to get my first book published when I was very young. So if you are like friends with someone who is like, I got my book published by X and X and da, da, da. Um, Don't feel so bad. There's a tremendous amount of luck and privilege that are involved in the writing industry that we do not like to talk about because it makes us seem less talented. I
0: love it. I love it. It's, it's fantastic. It's been a great conversation. Uh, thank you for the time and, and the ideas. I think this is great stuff. I've always really, you've been a big integral part of my writing journey. And, oh, thank you so much. Of of honestly, of like my journey, even talking about things like my autism and other stuff, like yeah. you've been a very integral part of that. So, thank you for that. Uh, thank you for the time and sharing ideas that I know other writers are going to find really useful. Um, so, with that said, what do you want to promote? Where can we find you? What can we read? Let us know.
1: Yeah. So right now I am off of social media while I try to finish this draft, but this is where you can find me. If you look me up on socials at Evelyn Barry Writer, um, you can find my Instagram. um, And in particular, if you're on TikTok, I encourage you to follow me. That's where I put out a lot of educational content. So if you're like, wow, I want to listen to more of what this person has to say and maybe hear some more practical, like craft related advice. I I make a lot of videos on like what ekphrasis is or how to build tension in a scene or things like of of that nature. Um, My books can be found on my website right now. The only things you can find are my chapbook, Buggery, which I encourage you to buy because I think it's quite good. And uh, my novel, Heathens and Liars of Lake County, which I don't necessarily encourage you to buy unless you just feel like throwing some money at Amazon. Uh, But you can find Buggery on my website. And look out, because I might be having some new stuff come out soon. And, um... Yeah, if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or Twitter, uh, during June, um, since it's Pride Month, I'm going to be highlighting both historic and living LGBTQIA plus authors. Um, So if that's something you're interested in learning more about, um, I do a lot of that kind of educational stuff on social media.
0: That is awesome. Evelyn, thank you again so much uh, for being here, for being this first interview in this new interview series. I'm really excited about it. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited to see a new novel from you, to be honest.
1: I'm excited to see a new novel from me, too. I'll let you know <laughs> when I finish it. I got like a thousand words in today. We're getting there. We're getting there. You
0: there. Little yeah. little bits, right? Little, little bits bit at a time. All well, right. thanks so much. And I hope you have a great day
1: yeah for sure you have a good day too happy
0: writing happy writing we'll talk soon